College basketball season is, is now officially underway. Some interesting results already. UConn is the only ranked team to lose to an unranked team. Uh, so far, the Huskies dropped their home opener to Wagner, which is uh, never ideal. Arizona, meantime, uh, beat Michigan State. Indiana beat Kansas. We're going to talk about those games momentarily. But I wanted to start in Orlando uh, with a West Coast result from last night. Yale, 98. Washington, 90. Markel Fultz got 30 points, 7 rebounds. Six assists, but it came in a loss. Yale scored, I looked this up earlier, uh, more than 97 points only one time all last season, and that came against Sacred Heart, and uh, yet they got 98 last night on Washington, a Pac-12 score. The reason I bring this up is because uh, it's possible, it's not likely, we're headed uh, for another Ben Simmons situation where the number one pick in the NBA draft ends up spending his one season in college playing for a, a, a bad team that doesn't make the NCAA tournament, which would be disappointing, obviously, uh, I think for college basketball fans in general, but probably for Markel Fultz as well. Let me ask you, um, is that what we're doing here? Is Markel Fultz about to replicate uh, Ben Simmons one year at LSU? In some ways, yes. I mean, I tweeted that out last night uh, specifically that we could be heading for a Simmons situation. I will say that he won't replicate it entirely. I'm going to say Fultz will not be the number one pick. But I will say Washington will not make the tournament. And I think Fultz will certainly have his name linked to Simmons frequently throughout the season. I, I see Washington as a team that maybe just barely misses. Now, we I'm not going to overreact one game in. I just I felt kind of that going in. I thought they would be a, a shaky team. They'll get some probably some good wins. Their non-conference schedule, I don't think, is going to do them a ton of favors here overall. And then, of course, Lorenzo Romar has established a reputation for having NBA-type talent but not going to the tournament. Fultz is in a weird year here because Washington has more, has even more coming for help next year, but Fultz will almost certainly, I mean, definitely be a one-and-done guy. So it would be great to see him actually in the tournament, uh, a fun player. Washington played a weird game against a Yale team that did not have its best player. Makai Mason is done for the year. Uh, due to injury, and you, you had to figure Yale, which, yes, last year did beat Baylor in the NCAA tournament and gave Duke a good scare uh, out in Providence in the in the second round, but not many people were expecting Yale to make it too much of a game against Washington, even though the Elis are a top-three Ivy League team this year. I do think we could have a situation that is similar to what Simmons went through last year. The talent around Fultz, I would say, is nearly comparable to what Simmons had around him. And by that, I mean, Washington does have some dudes. I mean, they do have some players on this team overall. But this is certainly not a good sign. Maybe they prove us wrong. I mean, maybe they wind up being a fairly solid team that uh, can get to 20 wins and, and get into the tournament with a little bit of ease. But I think it's more likely than not that they don't. I think they're a fringe tournament team at best. And yes, to me, that was one of the top three most interesting results that happened on Sunday. I was a little surprised. Uh, that if you would have asked me going in, we didn't put this question forward, but if you would have said how many teams that are ranked are going to lose games to unranked teams, if you gave me an over-under of 1.5, I actually would have taken the over. So only that the fact that it was UConn was a little surprising. But in terms of Washington and Fultz, certainly a team to watch and monitor in the early going because they're going to need to get some nice wins in non-conference. We'll see if they're able to do that. Uh, and If they're not, then yeah, they're going to enter Pac-12 seriously, very much behind the eight ball. And the league itself is going to offer up a few teams that are going to be NCAA tournament teams, but it's not going to be 
where they're going to have a ton of opportunities overall. I think the Pac-12 will probably balance out at about five tournament teams this year. Well, uh, the point you made about Washington, I think, is worth repeating, is that um, you know, like you don't want to overreact after one game, and that's why we're not going to sit here and open the podcast going, "Is Kevin Ollie going to miss the NCAA tournament?" You know, because like UConn is probably going to be okay. Um, you'd rather not start zero and one with a loss to Wagner, but. Uh, what happened with UConn doesn't reinforce what we already thought about UConn. You could look up in a, a couple of weeks, certainly a couple of months, and go, yeah, that was just a bad night. It just happened to be on the opener, but uh, just a bad night. With Washington, it, it re- what happened last night reinforces what people already thought, which is they're not going to be very good. And that's the problem because, you, you know, you're talking about you think Washington's going to miss the NCAA tournament, but you thought that two days ago, and so did I. And I just wonder, like, if you're John Calipari, Mike Krzyzewski, Sean Miller, uh, it's got to be the best thing for you to watch results like that because it's another reminder that it doesn't matter how good you are in college basketball. You can't go to a bad situation and expect to make it really good. It just doesn't really happen that often. Like, uh, you know, we saw it last year with Ben Simmons at LSU, Henry Ellenson at Marquette. Uh, Marquise Chris at Washington. I mean, we're talking about first-round draft picks, top 20 picks um, that were on bad teams. And, and so I think sometimes these these young people, and you saw Simmons even mention it in the Showtime documentary that, that aired a couple weeks back. He said, I want to go to a place that isn't Kentucky Duke and make it great. Well, well, he didn't do it. And Henry Ellenson didn't do it last year. And it looks like Marco Fultz might not be able to do it this year. And so if you're... Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, one of these schools that consistently recruits these types of prospects, it's got to give you ammo next time you're in the living room to say, hey, listen, you know, you can try to do what Ben Simmons did, what Henry Ellenson did, what Markel Fultz did. If you already know you're spending just one year in college, you can go to one of these places and and trick yourself into thinking you're going to be the difference, that you're going to turn it into – a Final Four team, or forget that, just an NCAA tournament team. But Ben Simmons couldn't do it. Henry Ellenson couldn't do it. And now Markel Fultz couldn't do it. So maybe you ought to just play it safe. Uh, I'm going to put three other five stars right around you, and we'll go take a run at a national championship. If you're Calipari, Coach K, Sean Miller, those types of guys, um, watching what happened to Simmons last year and what happened to Fultz last night, that's good for you. It, it very much is. I do like the mentality and that specific part. I've since watched the Simmons documentary when we last talked about it on the podcast. I, I do like that mentality. Um, I, I do like players that want to go to spots that aren't, you know, traditional top ten programs. Try and do something there. It's it's tough, without a doubt. Fultz, by the way, let's just, you know, let's. He went, had thirty points. Was nine of twelve from the field. Uh, had a good. I mean, seven rebounds, six assists. He was pretty damn good. Um, now, granted, he's going to look pretty damn good against a, a team like Yale, which, hey, maybe Yale you know, Downey gets really good and they end up being awesome this year. I, I just don't see them being a top 100 team personally. Uh, but the point is against a team that's, you know, below a top 75 caliber Fultz is going to be awesome on most nights. But that's the whole point is that is him being really, really good <laughs> going to be good enough for Washington? I, I'm just not quite sure yet. Malik Dime is someone that I wish. Well, it wasn't, was it wasn't good enough last night and they weren't even playing the best team from the Ivy. I know, I know. So that's the, the that's the concern there. It's something we'll certainly monitor uh, going forward, and it's also why, to be honest, I mean, Fultz is our freshman of the year, and 
the freshman of the year is not as tied to team success as player of the year. But I, since I didn't think that Fultz was going to wind up in the tournament, and Washington might not be, you know, a team that eclipsed 17 or 18 wins. It's why I wound up um, not picking him for freshman of the year. He could definitely do it because Simmons was it last year. I mean, LSU, but Simmons was just outrageously good statistically. So it could happen. But, yeah, it's something to watch. It's it's, it's certainly it, it's going to make us pay attention to Washington, maybe not for the reasons that Lorenzo Romar might not like. But uh, but this is the starting process where he has this year and then he has Michael Porter Jr. and other valuable players coming in next year. And this is it. Like, you got to make the turn. If you don't, then they're 100 percent going to have to start over. It's what I've been saying for a long, long time and certainly for like the last six, seven years. And that's that if it were possible to be individually great and make a bad team really good, we would have seen. Devin Downey takes South Carolina to the Final Four back in 2010. Shout out to Washington. Devin Downey. Without a doubt. And, and like, I, I think Markel Fultz and the next Markel Fultz should probably look back at that 2010 season and, uh, and understand that, particularly when it comes to their own recruitment. So on Friday night, I was at the Veterans Classic in Annapolis. Tremendous event. I saw Ohio State uh, beat Navy. I watched Marquette blow out Vanderbilt. Real quick on that, Marquette looked interesting. Uh, guarded in the second half, made shots. Luke Fisher was great in space, which is uh, something you know he didn't have last season while playing beside Henry Ellenson. So I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach uh, with the Golden Eagles, but I, I won't be surprised at all after seeing them up close uh, if Marquette finishes at least better than the seventh-place finish they're predicted uh, in, in, the, in the Big East. But because I was there, I got to see uh, very little of the Armed Forces Classic, which, of course, was... Uh, Arizona coming from behind to beat Michigan State on a coast-to-coast buzzer beater. And then Indiana uh, beat Kansas in overtimes. I know you watch both games, so just uh, your thoughts watching that doubleheader. Arizona uh, upset. It was technically an upset Michigan State. And then Indiana upset Kansas. We'll go uh, in order of the way the games were played because Michigan State started out really well. Arizona looked disjointed. Uh, didn't look smooth whatsoever, and it looked for the first 20 minutes like Michigan State was going to be able to get a somewhat comfortable double-digit win. Then all of a sudden, Arizona makes a serious run. Uh, his athleticism comes into play. Markkinen and the other freshmen really get going. Kobe Simmons was super hot in the first half, and it was really the reason why Arizona pushed back on Michigan State. Simmons, this is going to be a thing all year. It was the one thing that really stood out to me, and when I talked to coaches that had either seen him so many times or were recruiting him, Kobe Simmons is a super streaky player, like very fun in spurts and then doesn't even look like a five-star prospect at other, t- at other times. He uh, he will definitely be valuable to that team and was certainly valuable when he stepped up in the first half. Michigan State, listen, it got plenty to love out of Miles Bridges, who who is going to be a top five watchable freshman. I mean, he is the real deal. He can step out and shoot. I wonder if he loves his three-point shot just a little too much right now, but obviously he is going to be critical to what they want to do. Aaron Harris looked good in spots. Michigan State overall, is there any room for concern? I would say concern isn't the right word because you're still trying to get used to this, just not having a front line. You're playing a game in Hawaii against an Arizona team that had roster issues of its own. Um, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, we're going to preview the Champions Classic in a few minutes, but th- they do get Kentucky on Tuesday night. And that will certainly be an interesting challenge. But great on Arizona to get a win like that because I think it it would mean more or it does mean more for Arizona in the spot it's currently in as opposed to Michigan State because 
just with the unknown that is Alonjo Trier, and you know now Sean Miller at least told um, ESPN uh, and so did their AD Greg Byrne. You know this is just privacy concerns regarding Trier. We are not going to speak publicly on the issue whatsoever. Well, let, um, let me just touch on that in general terms. Sure. Um, when people start citing privacy, it is almost always about academics or some sort of a drug test. I mean, that, that's what privacy is. It's yes. some sort of health, con, uh, some sort of uh, medical deal, health deal, drug test, academics. Because if it's just like, um, and I don't, I don't think anybody actually thinks this is what it is, but like if it's just like some criminal stuff or some, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, then that, there's nothing private about that. And so when you hear an athletic director start talking about privacy concerns, um, it falls into one of a, a small handful of categories. So just as as well, as you're out there messing around uh, in the, on the internet chasing down rumors, just keep that in mind uh, when you're trying to uh, figure out fact from fiction. Yeah, here's the deal. So since you weren't watching the telecast, and then they they didn't put it in those explicit terms, but then Billis was like, "We know it's not an academic issue because they've been more than willing to just to to talk about on the record Chance Comanche, who did end up playing right. but had academic issues." So you basically it's 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 some sort of failed test at this point. Okay, some sort of failed type of drug test. It's got to be what that's going to be the issue is, and they're going to protect his privacy with those issues um, until we know more. And we don't know when we'll know more. So it's good for Arizona that they get the win, uh, maybe get a little bit of momentum here. Their schedule is fairly manageable um, over the next couple of weeks. They should be able to have a relatively strong start. As for the second game, a tremendous game, uh, very very fun. Um, I thought Kansas would win it with. Not going away, so to speak, but I thought Kansas would have won it by seven or eight points. Um, Indiana. I cannot believe was... you doubted Tom Crean on this podcast the way you did. Hey, I had to call the Arizona upset, so one and one. Uh, either way, um, dude, Indiana looked really fun, really good. The bummer about the game and the interesting part about the game was it was very fun and very watchable, but there were like 63 fouls. There were just so many fouls. And don't get me wrong, both teams were a little prone to, uh, to playing inappropriately, so to speak, but there were a handful of calls that just honestly shouldn't have been called overall. So the whistles were a little too tight for my liking. Indiana gets a huge win. Now Kansas is 0-1, and it goes up against Duke uh, in the in the Champions Classic on Tuesday night. That's going to be intriguing. Frank Mason made a huge statement in the game. Um, he basically took over. Uh, he Even though Kansas lost, if he hadn't have didn't take the team on his shoulders in the final two or three minutes GP Kansas doesn't even get the game to OT uh, Josh Jackson was solid I think it was a he wasn't tremendous shooting but that's the one thing like he's an okay shooter he needs to work on his his jumper from outside 12 15 feet but overall he had a he had a nice showing I'd say uh, Devonte Graham didn't play as well as I would have expected him to um, Bragg was fairly good Carlton Bragg who's expected to be a, a breakout player this year um, he, he, he showed up pretty well what was interesting is you had Thomas Bryant stepping out he took <laughs> Thomas Bryant who is a power forward type steps out and takes five three-pointers sinks two of them uh, Blackman stepped in right away and this is you know I said last week he's going to lead the team in scoring he was tremendous um, OG Ananobi had a couple of fantastic plays overall if you're Indiana you like what you're seeing on offense because they are basically running a positionless scheme type of game here. Um, very few teams in the country would want or could even do that, and it will present matchup problems. I mean, if you've got Thomas Bryant with a yellow light to step out and shoot threes, it's, it adds a dynamic that a lot of teams just simply don't have or aren't willing to go to. 
So a huge, huge win for Indiana to start the season. They don't play another serious game of note. Um, what until I think Carolina? Yeah. I don't know what yeah, they're. It's ACC Big Ten Challenge. I looked at it yesterday. That's their next like. Okay, because I don't know. They don't have a an exempt event this year. That's the one thing I wasn't sure. I am looking at the Ken Palm schedule right now, so I don't know if they have an exempt event. But if they don't, Carolina is the next huge game. That will be a huge game. And Indiana gets that on their home floor. So big returns on them let overall. Me, let me stop you right here on Indiana because Bryant. It was interesting. Um, I was there last preseason working on a story on Tom, and I I, I went to maybe two or three workouts while I was in Bloomington. And the the first two things I noticed about Thomas Bryant was what just the way he ran up and down the court. Like he, he was comfortable. He, he was comfortable drip, putting the ball on the floor, r- ran really well, you know, just uh, uh, I, nothing awkward about it for a man, his size. And then he shot comfortably from beyond the arc. And I know he didn't shoot it out there a lot last season, but that actually surprised me after I watched him in workouts because he looked, so comfortable, natural. You know how when Embiid shoots from the perimeter, like it just looks, he doesn't look like a big man trying to shoot threes. He just, he's just comfortably shooting. Uh, Thomas had a lot of that. And so I remember in July, whether it was Peach Jam or Vegas, I was, I was uh, in a gym and, and, and talking to Tom, and he said that he had Thomas working out with the guards in individual workouts this offseason. Like Thomas was, would work out, with, he wasn't working out with bigs. Now, some of that was because they were short on bigs, but um, he said Thomas works out with the guards every day. And so I thought that was interesting, and I, I, when I got back home, and maybe it was August, September, somebody could look it up, um, I actually like, got in touch with Thomas and talked to him about it. And he had made it a priority to expand his game in that way, like not just to come back to Indiana for a sophomore season and you know, be the same type of player, but to you know, actually you know, expand his game and do what prospects always say they'd like to do. And so that was encouraging to see if you're an Indiana fan on Friday night because he looked like, I don't want to say a totally different player, but he was doing different things. And I think you're going to see a lot of that this season. I think you'll see a ton of it. Um, defensively, you know, Indiana was not, they weren't a bad defensive team last year. They're just, they're going to be so much more offensively driven that that's really where they're going to, you know, bread their butter, so to speak. Um, it was a it was an impressive showing because they got plenty they got plenty of push from Kansas and they still responded well. Um, a fun little scene after the game when Crean was being interviewed on camera, uh, the team kind of uh, snuck up behind him and <laughs> messed up his hair and and kind of mugged him and it was a, it was a cool thing. So you get the you get the sense that uh, it's a, it's a fairly tight team overall. And I'm still going to stick with Wisconsin. Don't get me wrong, but Indiana Wisconsin should be a fun two horse race I would think to win the Big Ten overall this year. But, yeah, just nothing but positive returns because Ananobi was fantastic on defense overall. And Blackman just stepped in and looked improved. You know, after he had the injuries last year, maybe it might take him a game or two to really get into rhythm. That wasn't the case whatsoever. I mean, he hit some crazy good shots. Indiana in general, its ability to kind of just step up. Curtis Jones, an unknown freshman, he, he stepped in, had a couple of huge threes overall. Uh, very fun team to watch, and yeah, Indiana should be, uh, should be, I would think, a consistent top 25, top 10 team throughout the season. And you already mentioned the Champions Classic, so let's look ahead to that. It's Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. You're going to be there. It's actually the first time I've never gone. Um, I, this will be the first Champions Classic I haven't attended. You'll be there, and it is Duke, Kansas, and Michigan State, Kentucky. And what's interesting is that, based on schedule more than anything else, uh, you now have two you know, preseason top 15 teams that are at real risk of starting the season 0-2. Uh, Kansas could lose to and, – and they would be 0-2. Uh, 
uh, Michigan State, if it loses to Kentucky and it will be an underdog there, will be an uh, will, could be zero and two. So um, that's a tough spot. Uh, it won't have any <laughs> real long term effects, but um, it'll it'll make your record look weird when you're zero and two to start the season. Um, what's interesting is that Mike Shishovsky uh, said Saturday night uh, after Duke improved to two and zero that he does and, and we've known for a while Harry Giles isn't wasn't going to play in this game. And, and for those who I, I have people ask me every once in a while, so when's Giles going to come back? Uh, I, I think publicly they, they've been talking about, you know, like in, or at least initially they were talking about middle to like, I, I'm told late November at the late, at the earliest, like de- early December, maybe, it, but it's not like he's going to be back next weekend. That's my understanding. Uh, Tatum, like I think people did think he'd be back by now, but he's not. And Marcus Bolden is also sidelined. And so Kay said that uh, he doesn't expect any of them, any of those three, to play in the Champions Classic against Kansas, which creates an interesting situation because if those three guys aren't available, I bet you this is true. The number one team in the country, Duke, will be an underdog to a team with an 0-1 record. I wonder if that's ever happened in the history of basketball. (laughs) Has the number one Uh. team in the country ever been an underdog to a team that's 0-1? I bet yeah. you if it's I bet you that's never happened or it's barely happened. Good point, and that will be interesting. That's a great uh, point. Let's let, let's let's hit this game real quick here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is the first time I'm actually going to the Champions Classic. I wanted to go to the first year because it's the first time it's returned to New York. First year was uh, uh, that's when Bob in uh, New York. Yeah, Coach K it, like passed Bob Knight. Yeah, it was in New York because you and Goodman were both with the company, so you both went, and uh, Borzell and I you know, did the couch duty. So I'm, I'm definitely pumped and thrilled to be going, uh, but it is a bummer that Duke will not have its three most heralded freshmen on the floor, and it should make for an interesting game overall because of that. Um, Kansas has more on the line. Duke has been – I mean, Grayson Allen has started off the year uh, fairly well. Frank Jackson has stepped in as a freshman combo guard and been pretty good. Granted, it was against Marist, who isn't a good team. Grand Canyon – should actually be a fairly solid team within the WAC, but both those were Duke home games. Um, they had no issues whatsoever. Kennard's been fairly good as well. Um, given that Duke was not able to have Giles and Tatum and Bolden on the floor, they played about as well as you could ask them to play, but it will be interesting against a Kansas team that will be at full strength. I'll kind of tip my hand a little bit here. If Kansas loses, I'll probably end up writing on this uh, from the garden. Here's the deal. So, Kansas's three toughest non-conference games uh, were against, uh, you know, it came Friday night against Indiana, then Duke, and then they get Kentucky in January. Now, Kansas is probably going to run away with the Big 12. We agree on that, and that'll be huge. But the Kentucky game, remember, is the return game, so they go to Lexington. So that might be a tall task. So if Kansas loses tomorrow, um, it will basically be in a situation where it'll be 0-2 against two of its top three, and then the third game will be against the team probably competing for one seed on the road in one of the toughest environments in the country. So what could be interesting is Kansas could wind up having an inconsistent, not a terrific non-conference schedule. Would it be a situation where perhaps it's one seed discussion is up for debate down the road? Just think about that when you're watching the game, because this one could have a little more impact than you might realize, because if it loses to Indiana, Duke, and Kentucky, and all of those three teams are in conversation for a number one seed, you could definitely have a situation there where Kansas winds up being a two, even if it runs away with the Big 12. Just consider that overall. The second game isn't as as intriguing on the whole to me. Um, I, listen, it, it is intriguing in general, but Michigan State, they... They... They're going to be 
pushed in ways that they weren't against Arizona. Kentucky's freshmen have looked really good. De'Aaron Fox set a record, a program record with 12 assists on Kentucky's opening night. Malik Monk is not off to a solid start. Let's see how he does against Michigan State. But he is a little bit of a streaky player. I think Kentucky's going to look to him to try and score plenty. Uh, Bam Adebayo has been fairly good so far. Briscoe has come out and looked solid. His, his shot does look improved. Now, he hasn't been bombing it from deep yet, but he does look like he really worked on his shot, and it looks better overall. But Kentucky's three-point shooting in general hasn't been tremendous. Because of that and because Michigan State is smaller overall, I wonder if we'll just see, you know, Derek Willis, who can step out and shoot, but are they going to try and keep him inside, go to Adebayo inside, use Isaac Humphreys as a seven-footer inside? There's a lot of intrigue there overall. My prediction is we do not come out of the Champions Classic with two 0-2 teams. I, I think one of the two, either Michigan State or Kansas, will wind up winning. But uh, Pick but the it, way Norlander. that these games Pick it. Pick the games. Okay. Okay. I'll say um, I'm going to say Michigan State beats Kentucky Ooh. and Duke. And Duke beats Kansas. I'm actually going opposite both games. I yeah, think, I figured. <laughs> I think Kansas beats Duke, and I think Kentucky beats Michigan State. Well, give us reasons. Well, Duke shorthanded, and I think Kansas is. Uh, I think Kansas is really good. They just happen to lose in overtime to Indiana, a game that could have. You know, any game that goes to overtime by definition could have gone either way. So the only reason we got anybody has these questions about Kansas is because like one possession didn't go their way, one shot didn't fall. So like whatever. I'm I think nothing different about Kansas than I thought. Uh, you know, four days ago, five days ago, whenever. Um, and so I would have thought Kansas Duke on a neutral court was like a top shelf, you know, basic coin flip game anyway. But then you take three five star, you know, front court players off of Duke's roster, like assuming they're not going to play. Uh, just give me the more experienced and less injured team in that one. So I'll go Kansas over Duke. And then uh, Kentucky, Michigan State, I just think Kentucky's better. You know, like to the extent that Kentucky would have an issue, at least in my mind, would have an issue with somebody early, it would be a veteran team, you know, where they're playing against 22-year-olds who, um, you know, have been through it and understand the intensity at which, you know, Division One basketball is played, all that stuff, right? Well, like, what's the uh, – Kentucky? Michigan State's just as young as Kentucky, and so, like, Kentucky's got better young guys and more of them. And so the advantage that a team might have over Kentucky is not an advantage Michigan State's going to have over Kentucky. And so um, I actually think Kentucky wins that one comfortably. And, uh, and Kansas and Duke, you know, is a, is a under four time minute, uh, under four timeout close game that, that Kansas uh, wins in the final minutes. I'll take Kansas close and Kentucky comfortably. I th- I'm just going to say Michigan State. I'm. I, it's yeah. I'm going to say they're going to win just because I expect Bridges, Harris, McQuaid, Josh Langford to all be given. I think they're going to try and really beat them from deep overall um, because they know, they know they can't beat them inside. So I would expect Michigan State to really attack there. They shot a ton of threes um, in their game against Arizona, but we'll see. It should be interesting. Um, real quick, GP. I don't know where you want to go with this, but um, Nova Purdue is a game uh, here. What Monday? We're recording this Monday morning. We're back to two podcasts a week. So that's just a fun one on Monday night before we get to it's yeah before we get to the actual 24-hour marathon. You've got that game, and you've also got Wisconsin Creighton, who's not part of ESPN's marathon. So you actually have really good games, top 25 matchups, uh, not specifically tied to the 24-hour marathon. So yeah, uh, the you know the uh, both games I think are part of the Gavit games, and yeah, Nova Purdue is fantastic. I mean that's a really really terrific 
test and a good gauge for both teams this early in the season. Uh, I am liking the fact that these graphic games are giving us true on you know on campus uh, challenges and venues. So yeah, Nova's got to go and play at Purdue here on Monday night. Caleb Swanigan looked fantastic to start the season, um, and Villanova just absolutely just gorged on Lafayette. So yeah, dude, it's just it's a really good Monday night game, like a fantastic game. And, and Nova will certainly be challenged. And this is a big moment for Purdue, which is obviously a, a ranked team. But it gets a, 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 it's, the, it's the one game that matters on Monday night. So for people that are going to watch and, and track college hoops, this is their chance to step up, really do something impressive. And you can see Vincent Edwards. Will Heisek's have a solid game overall? I, just, I think this is a big, big spot for Purdue. And again, these games, they can have some impact because they're not conference. They're big-time stuff when it comes to seeding down the road. So a huge opportunity for Purdue to establish itself. I think Purdue wins the game at home uh, because they're at home. You know, they only lost, I believe, last year once at home. Like, that's mm-hmm. a real, like, real home court advantage. Um, it's a great fan base. And uh, so I, I think the reigning national champions uh, are at real risk here. And, and it, it will take a uh, – you know, could take a real loss early in the season, which – it won't make me think much differently about Villanova than I think about Villanova right now. Like I, I think okay. most, te- I think most teams, you know, uh, most teams going to play at Purdue tonight would be up against it. I mean, that Purdue team, they're, they're experienced. Um, they're, they're, uh, you know, they'll be operating with that home court advantage. You know, they, they've beaten, I went back, look last year, like they beat good teams in that building last year. I think they beat Wisconsin there. They beat Maryland there. So there, there's nothing crazy about thinking, um, they could knock off Villanova, who is replacing two starters and does not have, uh, you know, the five-star freshman they thought they were going to have in Omari Spellman. So, um, I, like, you know, it's an early tip, I think, to 7 Eastern. So by 9 Eastern, it should be final. And if Purdue wins, you're going to be hearing about, oh, no, what an upset. You know, the reigning, world, uh, reigning national champions got – it won't really be an upset. I, I bet you by tip-off um, in Vegas, it'll be about uh, a pick game. I bet you by tip-off it'll be about a, a pick game and a huge spot uh, for Matt Painter's program. Uh, there is one other game tonight that I thought was good, San Diego State-Gonzaga. That's true. That Actually, I think that tips off the tip-off marathon, so that's like a, what, a midnight Eastern tip. And that's is it at Gonzaga, GP? It does is, Gonzaga host that? Gonzaga does host it. And San Diego State, um, I think Steve Fisher had said after their opener, you know, they beat San Diego, but uh, they were without four rotation players, including Malik Pope. And so... Uh, Steve said after that game that he didn't know or was skeptical that uh, you know he'd have those players back by tonight. And hey, listen, going at, going to Gonzaga is tough regardless of the circumstances. But you go in there shorthanded, like you're really up against it. That's that's going to be a tough one. Uh, San Diego State's going to have to really just try and keep the possessions way way low. Uh, keep, slow the game up as much as possible. Hope Trey Kell who had a solid game uh, to start the season and really should be San Diego State's best player this year. Um, shows up pretty well. That'll be interesting. I'll definitely I'll I'll be up. I'll, I'll watch that if it's interesting. I'll 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 push on through and try and watch the whole thing because I think both teams should be tournament teams this year. Certainly Gonzaga, no doubt about it. Um, but that one, yeah, that's that's a tough ask if they're not going to be fully healthy and have all their guys to go. For Gonzaga, listen, you want to watch just because it's a, it's a different Gonzaga team from last year. You know, this team is rightfully considered top 20 by so many people, and yet it lost plenty from last year. Now you have guys that are stepping in. A lot of transfers, Jonathan Williams from Missouri, Nigel Williams-Goss, who is certainly in the running to be the best player in that conference, uh, is running the point for Gonzaga now. 
Um, Jordan Matthews, grad transfer from Cal, steps in and is an immediate factor. And then you got a, a seven-footer named Zach Collins, who's a freshman. And the returns on him have been pretty positive and pretty good. So let's see what he does tonight against a San Diego State team that's you know big, physical, and certainly has some age to it. Let's see how he steps up and plays against them overall. But Gonzaga, when you get to watch them, just, just see that they'll be a different roster from what you've seen over the past couple of years. And yet, in my opinion, rightfully highly ranked and certainly uh, will be right there with St. Mary's for winning the uh, West Coast title. And I do want to hit St. Mary's real quick. They had a game on the opening night against a Nevada team that actually some people believe could challenge or push San Diego State, and it wasn't close. Now, St. Mary's was at home, but they throttled Nevada, won by almost 20 points overall. So just keep an eye on St. Mary's, who will have a game on Saturday at Dayton. That'll be a nice little test there overall. But, yeah, it should be St. Mary's-Gonzaga. BYU will be good as well. But I think they'll just be a notch below in the West Coast. Yeah, I picked St. Mary's in the preseason to win the West Coast Conference, which is like, you know, you it's almost like picking against Kansas in the Big 12. <clears throat> but that St. Mary's team, like, they return everybody from a team that won like a bazillion games last year. And uh, they look great against Nevada. I don't know if you saw the quotes from uh, Eric Musselman, but he was like, I, I don't know why I scheduled the game. Like, we, we, we're not ready for this. Like, we, <laughs> we, we, uh, you know, we, we, we not, we're not ready to play in this environment. And what's interesting is that. You know, when Muss was out of coaching, he lived in that area. And so he went to St. Mary's games all the time, went to practices all the time. So it was funny listening to him. He was like, uh, he's like, listen, I've been here like a bunch. I knew what I was walking into, and I don't know why I put my team in this situation so early because we had we had no business playing this game. We weren't ready to play this game. They really did get handled from – uh, from start to finish, and like you said, that's a that's a, a Nevada team that's supposed to be good. Like you know, I, I I think I picked them to win the Mountain West. They they may not obviously, but the idea that you could reasonably pick them to win that league suggests that it's a quality basketball team. And St. Mary's uh, again handled them handled them pretty good. So let's get out of here and remember that uh, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get your hands on the uh, latest episodes as quickly as possible. Like Norlanda said earlier, we're going to be doing two. Uh, a week now, every week but, uh, from now through the Final Four. And so uh, I think the uh, plan at this moment would maybe be uh, Mondays and Thursdays, at least until we get to January when uh, I'm, I'm traveling back and forth to New York every week. But for now, let's plan on Mondays and Thursdays. So uh, make sure you subscribe. Appreciate you uh, doing that. And uh, we will talk to you again a little later on this week. Until then, take care.